You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome in Lake Kick on the Air. It is Sunday night, March 14th, the year of our Lord, 2021. We've got a jam-packed show, a little bit different flavor tonight. It's something you guys have asked for. I said, we're not doing that in September. We're not doing that in December. January, no. But here we are in March. There's a lot of other sporting interest out there. So I figured, you know what? Our diehards are going to be here. We're going to give it to them tonight. And what I'm talking about is a little bit different show. I want to talk some recruiting tonight, but I'm not talking about a specific recruit. Like we're not taking you into the home of a four-star offensive guard from Salt Lake City and talking about his top 10. What I wanted to do is I went and got Steve Wolfong and I went and got Brandon Huffman from the West Coast for a really specific reason. And I said, you know what? Let's just go as long as we want to go. I'm going to accumulate all the stuff you guys always ask about. Some behind the scenes recruiting stuff, maybe sort of the inner workings of the recruiting industry, like how how are rankings formed? What about this kid? What about that kid? And we're going to talk about it. And it's not going to be Q&A, like it's not going to be kind of compressed into two or three minutes. We're just going to dive in. And so that's what we're going to do on tonight's show. Now, because there's uh, broadcast scheduling conflicts, I pre-recorded this. It's a really, really good conversation, though, and I think you get a lot out of it. So this is my extended talk with Steve Wolfong and Brandon Huffman. Hope you enjoy it. Wolfong, what's it like talking to me on a Sunday night? My man, I, I, I've been wanting to be on this show since uh, for years. So to finally be here on this show, to be on the main event, our largest platform show in the network, is big for me and big for my career. And yeah, it's. I, uh, I look. My for- wife asked me if I was nervous. And I said, No, nah, hell no. Oh. Josh makes you feel at ease, but I feel good, and I and I'm ready to rock and roll. My Sunday show isn't complete until I get the Monday morning text from Wolfong critiquing the Sunday night show. And then that's when we really put a wrap on the Sunday night show. But here we are. You're finally on the Sunday night show. You can't watch live at the Wilfong house when I got kids that are six and three. We watch a little America's Funniest Home videos. And uh, maybe there's a game on and then it's bedtime. So I watch Monday morning. I got you. I got you. So I've got stuff that's just piled up. A lot of people ask questions. They've just piled up. So I figured, hey, middle of basketball season, but folks want their college football. Let's just talk about this. There's going to be a free-flowing format here. Let's start with this. I did a segment a few months back about the word bust when it comes to recruiting. A lot of people look at a kid, if he's rated four stars, five stars, and he doesn't completely meet expectation, he gets labeled a recruiting bust, which in some cases, okay, maybe there was a misevaluation. But to me, Will Fong, you can tell me if you disagree. You're intimately involved in the process. I think far more times than not, especially in modern day where you have so much observation of a kid, so many camp interactions, so much more film. Everything about the kid is known or as much as can be known from a physical standpoint. And that is what a star ranking is that when a kid ultimately doesn't pan out, if it's grades, that's nothing you guys could have foreseen. If it is an academic situation or maybe an injury situation or a character situation, character is not something that you guys largely are able to bake in to a star rating. And so I think the word bust is like this one all-encompassing sticker that a lot of people like to put on a kid, whether he fails or succeeds. And in reality, there are several shades of gray to this, are there not? Well, for me, I, I more look at it from the team ranking standpoint. Um, are they busting? Are, are, are these teams meeting their potential based on what we're saying their classes are? So 
if you're a team that's generally recruiting in the top 10, like say USC was, but you're not making the college football playoff uh, uh, every other year, well, then you just aren't maximizing your potential based on your recruiting ranking. But if you do a deeper dive, uh, uh, recruiting is, is a lot of just filling your own team's needs and making sure your roster is balanced. And, and, and so maybe you're striking gold year after year at some skill positions, but at the point of attack, you're struggling. And so if you're not addressing that, your recruiting classes are, are smoke and mirror. But, but to go back to your, your question about the, the, the prospect, uh, uh, there's a lot of reasons why a young man won't meet his potential. I feel like we're only judged if the young man goes there and uh, just hits the portal or, or doesn't see the starting lineup, doesn't get drafted. I think it's fair to uh, come at us if, if a guy doesn't meet his potential based on, um, you know, purely just not being good enough to play. And, and you see that happen and uh, you see that happen quite a bit. And, and that's certainly, you know, on us to, to do, we miss there. And, 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 and that young man is a bust in theory. You know, he, he certainly uh, got a lot of uh, uh, um, shine for being a great high school football player and being a touted recruit. And so, on the back end of that, if you don't perform, you do get labeled a bust. I, but like how often? So, you know, I mean, as soon as you like with the 2021 cycle, you guys slapped the appropriate ratings on those guys. A lot of due diligence, obviously. It's not a hastily done process. But then they go out and they're, they're off the assembly line. They're headed to their respective universities out of your control now. And so you're going to watch these kids and you watch on Saturdays just like I do. Number one. How deep into a kid's career normally do you want them to get before you look back on the ranking and said, yep, we nailed that one or mm, may have missed that one. And then number two, how often do you see maybe a kid not pan out, but you look at it and say, he didn't pan out, but I don't think we missed on him. I think the reasons he didn't pan out are extending and extenuating from what we would have put in a star ranking. Is a guy like Bo Nix, could he fall into the ladder there? Talking about a young man that will be going into his third different offensive coordinator, third different coaching staff. He's never been comfortable at Auburn, and I know it's easy to nitpick Bo Nix and nitpick an SEC program, uh, uh, but you know I don't know if Bo Nix has had a fair shake in college yet to, to maximize the top 100 talent or the top 100 prospect he was uh, coming in. But see, like that's a really good one. So let's go to Nix for a second, because Bo Nix, when he came out of high school, where I think it was Hewitt Trustful or somewhere like that, and he's going to a program at that point in time, like Auburn wasn't a mystery. Malzahn wasn't brand new there. Malzahn had yet to fully develop a high school quarterback that he recruited. He had gone the transfer route, like Nick Marshall had gotten the job done. Jarrett Stidham, to a degree, had gotten the job done. But he had never taken a kid from the high school ranks, pushed him through his system, developed him, and gotten A-list results out of him. So that wasn't a mystery. So people like me, like I was down in Columbus at the time, I'm watching Bo Nix come in. We're thinking at the time, I watched him play in the state playoffs. I watched him in high school. I knew how good he was. And yet we were looking at Bo Nix and saying, but even with how good we think he is, he's going to a system that if he ends up developing, he will have bucked the entire trend of what's happened at Auburn. So I'm looking at that and I'm already knowing, I think this kid is every bit the star rating that he should be, but yet I think he may massively underachieve relative to that rating through no fault of his own when he goes to Auburn. And so like I look at Bo Nix and I think if you guys would have had the exact same rating on him, but he went to play for Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, I think he'd be a star right now. And that's what I'm talking about with the different factors, different elements that come into play 
once you go into a college program that no one on the 24-7 Sports Rankings Council could ever foresee, or you, even if you could foresee it, it would be totally irresponsible to try and factor that into the grade you put on a kid. Uh, do you propose a system where we rank a kid, drop him after he commits to a school if we don't like the fit for him? There you go. I, well, just a living, breathing star ranking all throughout his college career. That way you can, I can just follow it day by day. I can wake up and see what the, what the Sunday, March 14th ranking for Bo Nix is. Hey, the, the rankings process itself, this is something that I don't know if you mean for it to or not, but it's something where it seems like there's a big curtain up and the public always wonders, hmm, what's going on behind that curtain? I cheat a little bit because sometimes I sit in on those rankings calls, not because I want to share information, but because I kind of want to be able to spell out the process for people. And so I get asked a lot of times about the rankings process itself and what actually goes into it. Or is it just like someone calls up from Florida and says, hey, I need our kids bumped up a star grade. And then you just do it. Obviously, that's not what's happening. But I really want you to take us into as much detail as you can, because I've heard it. So I want you to take the, the viewers into as much detail as you can about actually how thorough this is and how much, like on a phone call at least, fighting there is sometimes over grading kids. There's a lot of disagreement. Like there's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of dialogue. It's not just, here's where we're going to rate this kid. Here's where we're going to rate that kid. All right, we're done. Let's go to lunch. Well, for us, I think it starts with the film, you know, uh, in live person evaluations, people are like 24 seven sports. You guys don't watch full game film. We're at the games. You know, most of these guys that, that are ranked high, we've had people on our staff either attend full games or, or they're playing full games on TV, or there's so many platforms with NFHS and, and, and so many ways to watch full game films. My guy, Greg Biggins, our guy, uh, uh, who, who does the California game of the week for Fox sports. Out in California, I get that game in Indianapolis here. I can watch Greg Biggins every Friday night. I can go to a local game here in Indianapolis, come home, and I can watch Matterday uh, versus St. John Bosco with Greg Biggins on the call Friday night. The Texas State Football Championships, also, I was able to watch those here uh, in Indianapolis. So we're able to watch full game films. We're able to go see these prospects in person and see them play uh, in person. And so I think that that's where it begins for us. Uh, we certainly put a lot of emphasis on verified athleticism. Uh, you, you you look at these guys that are playing in the NFL, people are like, I don't want a combine guy. That guy's a combine guy. Most guys in the NFL are pretty damn good at combines, Josh. I'll take a combine guy that's good at football. Uh, and so verified athleticism, whether that's, you know, uh, averaging a double-double in, in basketball and being an above-the-rim player, uh, certainly track data, uh, uh, wrestling, being all-state, being state champ uh, uh, with that, that hand, uh, you know, hand-to-hand combat, that leverage. Uh, that you get doing that sport and, and then baseball with the hand-eye coordination and, and, and things of that nature, all that stuff uh, applies. Uh, uh, then we get to the reason why I think our rankings are getting better and certainly we're not perfect. But I think if you look at basketball rankings, Josh, for the most part, a lot of those guys ranked high hit because the basketball analysts are able to go to AAU events and see these prospects compete uh, in a setting that's kind of comparable to what it's going to be in college. Uh, you're playing on the same size floor, uh, and you're playing with the same rules for the most part. And so, uh, uh, and you're seeing, you know, Josh Pate play against Steve Wilfong six, seven times. You have a good idea of who's better uh, uh, in, the, in that setting. Football, we're starting to get there more with there's so much seven on seven. And, and now you're seeing St. John Bosco go across the country and, and play St. Thomas Aquinas. And, and so you're seeing heavyweight high school football battles on the field and with the opening finals and the All America Bowl and the Under Armour. All-America game and the Polynesian Bowl, 
we're seeing these guys in similar settings. So we're able to kind of compare and contrast. And, and then you certainly still get into the debate. Well, you know, Josh Pate's better than Steve Wilfong now, but Steve Wilfong maybe has more upside than Josh Pate. Uh, um, so, so those conversations are being had, but I think that all of that kind of goes into uh, uh, goes into the pot, and and, and and that that's kind of our process. Now, certainly, there's some disagreement when you know your West Coast guys have a receiver that they love out west, and you're kind of comparing them to some guys in Texas, and you're comparing them to some guys in in Florida. It, it can get heated when you're passionate about a guy you've seen more uh, than than others. Uh, and so that sometimes is the challenge of, of, of getting guys ranked. Here's the other one that it really gets in the weeds sometimes. And I'm really curious as to how often this happens for you guys. So if I were to look at someone right now, he's going to be 16 or 17 or 18 years old. If I'm grading him in high school, Will Fong, you know, sometimes, especially guys who are going to go on to play major D1 college football, they are 90% physically developed by the time they're a senior in high school, but not all of them are. And so there are some very, very notable historic exceptions to this rule where you could be looking at a guy and he's still got baby fat on him and he's still got a baby face and he's, he's just now getting patches of acne all over his cheeks, but you're looking at him and he's got all the makings of a future stud, but he's just maturing physically a little bit slower. And so you may look at him right now and he's a junior in high school when you're going to really want to put a grade on him. And, and he's probably, you know, let's say a three-star caliber player, which is still a very good player. But yet you also say, man, my gut tells me he has got the upside to be a five-star guy down the road. But I don't know that he's going to reach his physical potential and upside in high school. So then this gets really into the weeds. Are you grading the current product or are you projecting forward to where you got half a dozen assistant coaches that you use as sources telling you, Steve, this dude, we're going to get him on campus. We're probably going to have to redshirt him. But by the time this dude's 19, especially by the time he's 20, he's going to be a stud for us. He just isn't that quite yet because he's the little, he's the sapling that hasn't quite grown into the tree yet. How often does that happen? Well, I'm glad you mentioned the college feedback because we're getting feedback from high school coaches, seven on seven coaches, and certainly uh, next level sources on kids too. And that certainly factors into decision. You take a guy uh, like Henry Ruggs, who was kind of a late bloomer. You know, we took a chance on him as our number one ranked receiver because of the the athleticism and in, in the multi-sport profile. And he goes out and ultimately becomes the the receive, first receiver drafted. He was probably on paper when you look at that that Alabama class. You know, he was the considered the third best receiver coming in at best. And 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 so uh, um, you're certainly projecting guys. But then on the flip side, you, like you take a guy like Jeff Okuda. He was our number one ranked corner. He's a guy that when you spend some time with with Jeff Okuda, you could just tell how smart he was and how motivated he was. And you're trying to get to know these guys. You're trying to get to know their intangibles and what makes them tick and 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 how smart they are. And when Jeff Okuda does his his uh, uh, interview at the NFL Combine, he knew exactly uh, how many uh, passes he had given up and, and was able to uh, have that back and forth exchange with the reporter because he's just so on it and, and, and so detail oriented. And so like a guy like Chase Young, you know, he, Chase Young probably wasn't the coming out of high school. You could tell he was going to be absolutely ferocious and, and what he developed into in college, you know, those are some of the easier ones to, to, to pick out. This bleeds right into the next thing I want to talk about. Steve, the entire process of sourcing information and putting in a crystal ball prediction for a kid and then maybe changing it down the road one time or three times, depending on new information, 
you don't ever brag about this, but I got to do it for you. So frequently, you and I talk once a week at least to do the Wolf Fong recruiting whip around. And we'll be on a Zoom like we are right now. And it'll be 8.58 and we're scheduled to start at nine. And yet we got to delay because you get a phone call from a college coach or from an actual recruit we're about to talk about. And I think a lot of times when you talk about sourcing and you talk about new information, some people are led to believe, oh man, he heard a rumor on a message board. Some folks, maybe that's the case. I have watched you be the origination source for a lot of this information. So I say all that to say this. Number one, I want to brag on you because you're my boy. But number two, I want to talk about the way that you gather information and how it bleeds into how you handle the crystal ball because you know what the allegation is. So I'm going to toss it up like a softball and I want you to hit it 420 feet. A lot of people get bent out of shape when you have a crystal ball pick that is Auburn for a kid and it's been there for six months. And then let's say 72 hours before the commitment, you change it to Georgia and the kid ends up going to Georgia for some reason. This never made sense to me, but for some reason, people have a problem with you changing a pick like you couldn't have gotten new information or like a kid couldn't have changed his mind. So uh, I don't know if it makes you as mad as I do, but I get kind of aggravated, even though it doesn't involve me when I watch this. So just give me your take. The way that you're gathering that information, and then if you want to be right on this stuff, sometimes how frequently you have to change those crystal ball picks. Well, I love how interested the readers are in the crystal ball forecast. It certainly makes a job a lot more challenging. It would be easy to cover, you know, uh, Emmanuel Henderson's recruitment five-star running back who's committing over the weekend and, and, and say, well, it's going to be Alabama, Auburn, and Georgia and leave it at that. But you have to put your name on it. You put a prediction on it. And and so the prediction is, is Alabama for Emmanuel Henderson. And you, you get there in a lot of different ways. And sometimes these prospects, man, they're human. You know, they change their minds. They get new information. Sometimes my original pick, you know, uh, uh, was right then. But then, you know, over the course of five months, it changed. And by the time I dug back in for the dug back in to figure out where the young man's going, you know, it's a new school. And, and, and so we're just trying to the, the crystal ball is just something to enhance the user experience on 24 seven sports. I think people take it uh, too serious, but I think it's a, it's an opportunity for users to come to our network and say, Hey, this is where Brandon Huffman thinks so-and-so is going or JT two and Maloa is going. This is where Greg Biggins, you know, uh, uh, thinks that um, Damani Jackson is going. And, and, and so as those prospects change their minds, you know, the information and the crystal balls are going to change. Now, some people use the crystal ball differently. Some people like to be closers. They come in at the end when they know it's final and they make the pick. And if that's one of the users you follow, if you see that crystal ball coming in from that person, you know you can pretty much take it to the bank. And if that's a school you root for, you can get excited. And if that's a school – uh, he's not coming to the school that you root for. Well, you can start looking, all right, asking your your uh, publisher, who's our next guy. Uh, Greg Biggins says that we're losing him to Arizona State. Who are we pivoting to? And, and, and so uh, for me, I'm current pulse. As soon as I think I have a beat on who the leader is, I like to make the pick. But that doesn't mean that I always do it. it it's still kind of a fluid tool for me. I would say 85% of the time I do that. But sometimes I might catch wind that the leader for, you know, let's just take Kojo Antwi, who's a, a top two, four, seven receiver from Georgia. I think Texas A&M leads. I don't have a pick in yet because I think it's going to be get very competitive before July 5th. And so, yes, I could easily put the A&M pick in. The Gigum 247 readers know that I like Texas A&M. 
uh, but I think I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and see what Kirby Smart and, and his staff do here. And uh, Ohio State's been in this one for a long time. And Brian Hartline, former National Recruiter of the Year, his relationships is good uh, uh, with Kojo's anybody. And then he mentions Alabama. And you and I both know Alabama can close like wildfire. So I'm going to wait and see if, if A&M can keep this momentum uh, uh, for a while before I log the pick. So even the way I use it's a little fluid, but I try to be as genuine as I can. And, uh, and when you come and see a pick, it's what I think is happening that day. And uh, if I get some information uh, where the kid is thinking something different, I'm not afraid to change Ja'Cory Brooks from Florida to Alabama. This is a really good point. See, this is, I think, another of the many layers of the whole prediction process that I'm not sure a lot of casual viewers give more than a passing thought to. So let's not mention any one kid. Let's just say generic recruit. Right now, school X, school Y, and school Z are at the top of his list. But school A, let's say Alabama, one of the big dogs on the block, they haven't offered yet. I know the kind of stuff you hear. I've sat there and listened to you talk to these people before. And sometimes, correct me if I'm wrong, you'll just flat out get told, hey, right now, it's school Y. If not school Y, then school Z. But Steve, that is all assuming that school A doesn't offer. If school A comes in and offers, whether it's in May or whether it's in early December, that's going to change everything. If I were you and I heard that, I wouldn't care if the kid was telling me he's a virtual lock to go to school Y. Because I know if school A decides, in other words, if Alabama decides they want that kid, they've got him and there's nothing school Y can do about that. I'd never put it, if I put a crystal ball pick in on him, I'd be like a level one or level two crystal ball because I know something that maybe the casual viewer or casual reader doesn't know. And that's that there's this fin just offshore. It's got a little script A on it or, or a block G on it. And if they come and they want it, they got it. Well, none of us like to see a blemish on our record either. So if we know that the kid hasn't gotten the offer he truly wants yet, and maybe he's just making a commitment to solidify his spot, but he gets the offer that he really wants, you may take that on the spot and then you, you took your L being on another school. And, and so sometimes that's a wait and see approach with the crystal ball. Drew Allers, a top 100 quarterback in the top 247, that committed to Penn State last week. That was a big gift for James Franklin and company. Uh, they haven't hit at that position uh, like this in, in his era. And I think they've done a terrific job recruiting every other position. And, and so this is their biggest get at the position since Trace McSorley. But Notre Dame, I got some word that Penn State led for Drew Aller and talking to his family, talking to Drew, talking to other people close to him, Penn State led. Um, I think people around Happy Valley felt good about it, talking to recruits in the class and stuff. But the reason why I didn't put the crystal ball in immediately while I waited a little bit is because he was still having dialogue with Notre Dame. Notre Dame comes in and throws in an offer. He's having meetings with offensive coordinator Tom Reese. He's supposed to have a big meeting with Brian Kelly the Thursday, a few days before his his um, his his commitment date. Now I know that Notre Dame has to turn the momentum of the recruitment to uh, win this one. So I still like Penn State, but I just didn't want to do it to the readers, Josh, to put in a Penn State pick on Monday, knowing that Thursday Brian Kelly could flip this thing, and then I'm going from Penn State Monday to Notre Dame Thursday. So again, my my my, I just was going to wait and see. And then when I heard that Drew Aller canceled the visit, I was like, all right, I'm in on, I'm in on Penn State. I'll, I'll ride this one now. But I just so so again, it's fluid. Like 
the reader, sometimes, they, you know, you don't want to let them down either. There's that element and that component of it. So I, I held off on that Penn State pick for a few days because I, I thought, hey, Notre Dame's got a puncher's chance here. He's still talking to him, even though he's a heavy Penn State lean. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. So I got Steve Wolfong and Brandon Huffman with me right now. The JT Tuomaloao, I won't call it saga because, I mean, he hasn't been overly dramatic about this, but the recruitment is still playing out. We've still got, obviously, a little time to go before he finally makes a decision. So, Huff, you're out on the West Coast, and Steve, you've been involved with this thing throughout the duration as well. I've just kind of watched from afar. I had an inclination early on that because of the way COVID upended the recruiting schedule, that we were going to have several kids go past December to February and then maybe even past February to, I don't know, April, May, June, or just enroll and not even really have a commitment ceremony. And there's only one major name. JTT is the only big name that's done this. So number one, I'm curious, did you expect this to be a bigger trend? And number two, like what's just been your overall take on the way that he's handled this thing? Well, I think the way he's handled it has actually been really smart. I don't think that there was any need for him to rush into a decision. And honestly, I'm surprised that more top-tier recruits, guys that are highly coveted by everybody, don't take a little bit longer, don't maybe leverage things into not studying an MLI, but scholarship papers, an intent to enroll, whatever it may be. So that doesn't surprise me. I think what surprises me now is that there is still the possibility they could wait until June, provided the NCAA does open recruiting up in the month of June and they end the dead period at the end of May. I couldn't see them waiting until the middle of June to make a decision. He graduates the first week in June. Most of those guys are going to be on campus by the end of June in his high school basketball season, which is part of the reason he came back for the entire school year, will go until mid-June. So it's unlikely that he'll even be able to take visits until his basketball season's done. Most guys are already on campus and at the latest are enrolling in June. So I'm kind of surprised that they're taking it all the way until June. I thought with the NCAA's decision to extend the dead period to the end of May, meant that they might get out on their own to visit Ohio State and Alabama, and they still might. But the, uh, the possibility that they could wait until June, that does surprise me a little bit. I will say, if you look at the top 50 prospects from this 2021 class, only three, or JT, if you include, committed to a school they hadn't visited. Travion Henderson, 
committed to Ohio State, sight unseen. It's actually the second time Tony Alford, Ohio State's running backs coach, has done that. J.K. Dobbins committed to Ohio State, sight unseen over a blue chip offer list. And then he does it with Travian Henderson. So Tony Alford obviously flexing his muscles there. I think I think uh, Mario Williams may be committed to Oklahoma with never being there. Uh, um, but if you look at the other guys in the top 50, uh, I think that everyone that committed to their school, they had been on those campuses before, whether it was before the pandemic or during the pandemic, they went out and did self-guided. So for JT, he hasn't been to Ohio State. That's the 24-7 sports crystal ball favorite. He's expressed to Huffman and his family numerous times have expressed to him, hey, we want to visit Ohio State before we're deciding. And he's one, you know, I think some of those other guys that chose to sign, they had, were able to accomplish something that that uh, uh, JT hasn't. And by the time Travian signed, he had also been to Ohio State. And so uh, I think that that was a big, that, I think that's a big thing that makes JT unique. I think maybe you would have saw some other guys wait and sign and wait out this pandemic if they could have, if they hadn't seen, you know, a school that maybe they're, they're leaning to. Uh, Huffman, I wanted to ask you, you reported this week that JT got a, a basketball offer from Oregon. Now, this is a young man that I'm under the impression that he is, he is choosing a school, one of the most important factors in his decision, and people can see us so you can shake your head and say, mm-hmm, if you agree or disagree. He wants, he's picking a school. One of the biggest factors is where can I go to not only maximize my potential, but maximize my potential and be a top 10 pick. Like there's a big difference between even being top 10 and first round. Is that a way they view it? Right. So the basketball things are relevant, right? Like he, he's not going to be messing around with, with basketball and Kyle, he's going to be putting all his energy into being a top 10 pick. Where do you stand on like this? Is that just a cool little feather in another way to, have some interaction with the young man or, or, or is this a guy that even though he's aiming to be a top 10 pick, is he, you know, is basketball real? Basketball is very real. And people need to understand basketball was his first love. His best friend is Paulo Bonchero, who I think is the number two ranked player in 24 sevens, 2021 rankings. He's headed to Duke. And a big reason why JT decided to come and play his entire senior year. Now that's all for not with the state of Washington's decision to not have state championships, but Paulo being his best friend, when they were freshmen, Paulo's team won the state football championship. JT won it as a sophomore and junior, but Paulo also won a basketball state championship. And so JT was motivated to get one ring for each sport, just like his best friend has. But he's a really good basketball player. If you look at his AAU team, you got Paulo Bonchero, you got Nolan Hickman who's going to Kentucky, you got players going to Arizona. Their starting point guard is Drew Carter, Steve, a guy you and I have talked about who's going to Colorado to play football. He too will play basketball. We'll see if a quarterback actually plays basketball. But this is the number one player in the country we're talking about. I remember when Eric Armstead went to Oregon, and a big reason he picked Oregon was because he wanted to be able to play basketball, and Oregon was going to give him that opportunity. I think he played a combined three minutes of basketball for Oregon. Mercedes Lewis was the number one tight end. This is 15, 20 years ago. He was the number one tight end, went to UCLA, played basketball for a season, didn't see a whole lot, realized, I got a good chance of being a first-round pick. Same with Armstead. They both did. You got to go back to Julius Peppers, Tony Gonzalez, and those were almost lifetimes ago. That's 20, 25 years ago to find elite two-sport players. But I think with JT, basketball is such a love for his that I really do think it is a part of the process for him. Now, having said that, we all know that if he's going on a football scholarship, you don't need to offer him a basketball scholarship. Football's on the hook for that. But I think it's a ceremonial thing 
it also is those coaching staff's way of not just saying, yeah, you know, sure, you can come play basketball for us. It's their way of saying, we think you're a great basketball player, regardless of what you can do in football. We want you to just come play basketball for us. He's not pivoting that direction. But I think there's a little bit of a, a not a ploy here, but a little bit more of a play like, hey, we really, really like you, like the football coaches like you. So we're offering you this opportunity as well. Ultimately, when it's all said and done, this is a potential number one overall pick in the draft. I think basketball hoop dreams might be done after his freshman year. Hey, maybe he plays two years. Maybe he plays three years. Maybe he doesn't go to the NFL early because he wants to keep playing basketball and wants to participate in March Madness. That said, when you're that elite of a football prospect, go focus on football. You left out Antoine Randall, man, for the uh, best two-sport athletes. Uh, Donovan McNabb, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And those guys were just roll out of bed special. And Josh, Josh and I were talking about it before the show. Josh talked about the expectations that athletes have on them now within their college programs. That was maybe, maybe different back, back when Randall L and Donovan McNabb and, and, and stuff were dressing at Syracuse and Indiana, respectively. Your crystal ball forecast is on a one for Ohio state. Does the, does the basketball offer give Oregon an inch in this recruitment or, or Washington or does Al, I mean, where Ohio state and Alabama with the, with the dual sport thing, then, you know, obviously Alabama's letting Terry and Arnold, uh, play basketball. They beat out Georgia and, and and Florida for him late in the cycle. What are you hearing with those two schools in the hardwood? I mean, they're both very, very much involved. They're both I still at the forefront of his recruitment. To me, the whole entire recruitment hinges on will he actually get out to Tuscaloosa? Will he actually get out to Columbus? And most importantly, will he get to Columbus? He visited Tuscaloosa going into a sophomore year when he camped there, going into that sophomore season when he got his offer from Alabama. But he went with the seven-on-seven coach, Tracy Ford. His family didn't go with him. His family has been to Oregon. They've been to USC. They've been to Washington. They've not been to Tuscaloosa or Columbus. But JT himself has never been to Columbus. So that's why I have never moved that crystal ball from Ohio State off of a one to anything more. But I also think that they're still a leader until he goes and visits or until he pulls the plug on that visit. And that's why I think that visit is so crucial in Ohio State's efforts because They've essentially said, we will wait as long as we need to to get out to see Ohio State and see if that's the right pick. If the NCAA is ending the dead period at the end of May, then great. You do that in June. But with the NCAA keep moving that back and JT and his family keep moving the decision back, that tells you that the interest in Ohio State and in Alabama is genuine. It's real. Otherwise, he could have already committed to Washington. He could have already committed to Oregon. He could have already committed to USC. Those three schools are having to wait because he really wants to get out to see Ohio State and Alabama. But I still think Ohio State is ever so slightly in the lead. I've maintained that all along. If he ultimately decides to make a decision without having getting out there, so be it. I don't think if he goes, if he doesn't take that trip to Columbus or Tuscaloosa, then I think he's staying in the Pac-12. And that's where I think Oregon emerges as a school he signs with. But as long as they are maintaining that they're going to trip to Columbus and to Tuscaloosa, there's every reason to believe that those two schools are still at the forefront of his recruitment. This Oregon recruiting class, it's pretty wild. The Oregon recruiting effort, the machine out there is pretty wild. I know maybe a casual recruiting observer who just shows up the week of signing day in December and February, and they say, oh, there's the top 10. All right, got it. Moving on. I'll be back in the fall when toe meets leather. They may not pick up on the nuance of this, but North Carolina has a really good recruiting class. 90% of the kids in their class are from in-state. I'm looking at Oregon's recruiting class right now. There's one kid in this entire class that's from the state of Oregon. If you're going to recruit at a top 10 level in Oregon, obviously you have to have a, a massive out-of-state recruiting infrastructure in place. But man, it's one thing to say it, Huff. Wolf Like it's one thing to say it. It's another thing 
to actually get your staff in there and go from Florida to, to uh, they went to Nebraska this year, California, Utah, all over the place. And they're beating people. They're beating programs who are mainstays in those geographical recruiting beds. I know no one doubted whether Mario Cristobal could recruit when he got there, but there's, there's a difference. Like we talk about this a lot behind the scenes. There's a difference in your profile as a regional recruiter when you're an assistant coach versus the entire vision you have to cast when you're the head man and you're casting the vision, you're running the program. It's kind of a redundant question, but man, has this not been pretty impressive from them so far? I think when you look at what they've done over the last three or four years, you can't help but notice that Oregon is recruiting like they're a national program, like an Alabama, like an LSU, like a Clemson. They're going and picking and choosing who they want in states outside their own region. And then they're going into their backyard. They're going into the states that aren't Oregon, but that are in that Pac-12 footprint and cherry picking players. If you look at what they've done over the last few years, they have made a big time pain in the side of the state of Arizona, getting three of the top five players this year. When you're going into the Arizonas and to the Utahs of the world, not only are you strengthening your roster, you're crippling your fellow Pac-12 schools rosters by taking their best players. And that's what I think Oregon has done that's been so remarkable is it's not just what they've done from a national standpoint. I'll let Steve talk about what they've done nationally, but regionally on the West Coast, how they've really crippled so many of their Pac-12 counterparts. That's been what's really separated them, in my opinion. I mean, Oregon is a national brand. Don't get me wrong, but Oregon is also a destination that when West Coast kids want to go take an unofficial visit, when they're a freshman, when they're a sophomore, Oregon is one of those places they want to stop. So they can offset the pandemic when there's no official visits, no unofficial visits for a year. Most of those kids visited Oregon when they were freshmen or sophomore to begin with. In fact, in a pure stroke of luck, I don't think they knew that there was going to be a worldwide pandemic happening five days later. But they had a junior day literally the last weekend before the pandemic shut down recruiting. In fact, Ty Thompson, who was their quarterback of the assignments class, was on campus when the NCAA released a statement saying that the dead period was going to be extended for an indefinite period. So. Oregon just even by without even trying was able to get ahead of the pandemic shutting down recruiting. And that's the kind of just what you expect from them. They always got a plan in place. They've always got something that they can do to really show their university off to recruits. They had that junior day, had a number of kids come in from California, from Oregon, from Washington. No surprise that they end up at the top class in the Pac-12. Look, I've been a, I've been a fly on the wall for an Oregon, big Oregon visit weekend. Because I was out there for their uh, Saturday Night Live camp uh, in Eugene two years ago. And they ended up landing a bunch of those kids, Kingsley, uh, uh, Jackson Light, uh, uh, um, Jonah Miller. Those guys are part of the offensive line group. Keith Brown at linebacker. Troy Franklin was out there. Uh, uh, so that camp really paid off for them. And just the, the, as soon as you get off the elevator, if you're a prospect and you're visiting Eugene, as soon as you get off the elevator, the whole coaching staff, office staff, everybody's there waiting for you. And that elevator door opens and they just erupt. I mean, they are cheering their asses off for you. You, you, you haven't even gotten in the building. Like you're still on the, el- the elevator. And, and, and so that, what an amazing way to start off the visit. And I've seen coaches talk about that before and, and, and kids. But then the next thing you do, you, you go from there, from the lobby, you're in the kitchen, man. You're in the cafeteria and Mario Cristobal is leading the discussion about the nutrition and meal program you're on. And if you're an athlete, that's like the thing you want to hear. One of the first things you want to hear. So you go from the lobby to the kitchen, man. You're So now you're, you're in there learning uh, about their strength and conditioning program and, and how they're going to fuel you and how they're going to take you to the next level. But 
beyond beyond the bells and whistles, and, and Oregon's got terrific facilities and, and terrific backing for their athletes. Uh, um, the way that they've recruited is is impressing me, and I think that they're knocking on the door of getting into the college football playoff. They've recruited the offensive line as well as anybody nationally. I know Alabama just signed an epic class, uh, but but beyond that, you know, Oregon's recruiting the offensive line at the same pace as Notre Dame and and some of those other schools that have amazing fronts. Uh, um, Oregon hit, you know, quarterback. That that's the one where like is Ty Thompson. You, you got to have a program changer at that position. Uh, uh, to to make the playoff more times than not, and if you don't, you got you got a guy like Ian Book who's got a ton uh, of talent around him. Uh, I like that Oregon has landed some guys on the in the front seven that can be difference makers and pass rushers. Obviously, you have Kayvon Thibodeau. Ohio State's pointing towards all the guys that that they've developed on the defensive front. Mario Cristobal and company are saying, "Well, you Kayvon, and then you for JT, you guys can kind of start that for us." Out west, but even getting a guy like Jabril McNeil and, and guys like that, those guys can be difference makers. Sewell and, and, and Flo, those are those are elite guys in your front seven. And then they've added a lot of speed at the skill, uh, offensively and defensively. So it, it, if the Anthony Brown is the answer there at quarterback or, or Ty Thompson, ultimately, I think they put the pieces around the quarterback position uh, to be very competitive. JT would be a, a, an extremely pivotal recruit for for them next year as they try and get over the hump but but Brandon do you think that they've recruited championship level in the trenches and 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 more than anything um your thoughts on Ty Thompson and then their coordinator situation with a new DC they lose Andy Avalos and and your thoughts on Joe Moorhead is he a championship level OC yeah I mean I think we look at the last time that Moorhead was calling an offense as a coordinator it was at Penn State and they were lighting up the Rose Bowl scoreboard now their defense couldn't stop USC that day, but their offense did everything that they could. So we know he's a champion play caller. We also know that Tim DeRuiter has had a great run as a defensive coordinator when he was at Texas A&M. And even in the early parts of his time at Cal as the DC before uh, Peter Sermon took over, you look at how he showcased a guy like Evan Weaver. Now take a guy with the talent of a Kayvon Thibodeau and what he could do as a featured pass rusher like Cal used Evan Weaver. You're looking more like Von Miller territory, who Deruda was the defense coordinator at Texas A&M for. So you've got two coordinators that have a history at big-time programs in big stages of being great at their play-calling duties. But I think we're Oregon, like you said, you know, Steve, you asked, have they recruited a championship level in the trenches? Absolutely, because I think that's what's really separated Oregon the last few years is how much of a priority and an emphasis has been placed on offensive linemen, on defensive linemen, on pass rushers, on skilled athletic tackles. You look at Alex Mirabel. I mean, he is, is one of the – he's probably the smallest offensive line coach in college football. I mean, when I see him at a camp, it's always just – you have to have to do a double take. But that guy's units are among the best in the country each and every year. And you look at what Panay Sewell did at Oregon in the two years that he started there. He went from being a guy that we liked. He was a top 50 player, number one player in Utah, to now a likely top three or four pick. And that was all development because Mario Cristobal is an offensive line guy. He was an offensive lineman in college. He's an offensive line coach. Between him and Mirabel, there is such an importance and an emphasis placed on getting great offensive linemen that can do a number of things. You you look at their class this year and you look at their offensive line. You get Kingsley Sumataya, who's the number one tackle out west, a five-star player. And then you get Jackson Light, who, you know, when you watch Jackson Light on film, it's one of the more entertaining things that you're going to watch. The guy is running stride for stride with his running back, but knocking people out while his running back is looking for his blocks. Jackson lights a foot in front of him, 
knocking guys out, getting right back in front of him. So they know it's not just about tackles. It's about getting good interior linemen, too. Then you flip it over to the defensive side of the ball. Joe Salavea has got a tremendous reputation through his time when he was at Washington State, when he was at Arizona before that, and now at Oregon, of not just being able to really recruit high-level players, but then those guys turn out and play at a high level when they get to Oregon. So I think that commitment to the trenches is probably the biggest thing that Oregon has been able to do. If you go back to their national championship loss to Ohio State in 2015, after the 2014 season, where did that game really turn? Well, it turned when Ezekiel Elliott was unstoppable and untouchable by Oregon because Oregon's offensive or defensive line was getting pushed back every single play. Keep in mind, they had Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner, two future pro bowlers, two future first rounders on that defensive line. But Ohio State was that much bigger and stronger. Oregon didn't have the depth. Now they've made that a priority, not just to get talent on the offensive and defensive lines, but to get depth at both those positions. So you can rotate. You can keep your guys fresh. They had a very young offensive line this year with Panay Sewell opting out and losing four of their previous starters to the to graduation. I thought Oregon's offensive line gelled just fine this year. So what are they going to be like with the spring football, with a normal season, with a normal year with no opt-outs? I mean, people forget a number of key players opted out for Oregon this year, and losing Panay Sewell was a big blow. So that's a program that I think because they have the depth, that's why they were able to offset the losses to opt-outs and still be the Pac-12 champion. Yeah, and to circle back here, just to go back to that whole word branding, I think a lot of people think sometimes it's overused, and maybe sometimes it is overused. But in this particular context, if anything, it's underused. I just want someone who doesn't even know anything about college football to say this out loud. There is an entity on the West Coast that has convinced if you got one opportunity and you can take one visit, I've got 17 and 18-year-old kids opting to visit coastal Oregon or interior Oregon instead of coastal Southern California. That is the power of branding. Like that's what that's what that oh over time, that's what that thing has become. Steve Wolfong, Brandon Huffman, a pleasure, my friends. We'll do this again soon. I thank you guys so much for joining me. Good stuff there. Really fun. Uh, hey, if you like that, let me know. We can do more like that. Whatever. March Madness won't last forever, as you know. So for Director Emeritus Colin Jesse and the crew up in Connecticut, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for watching Late Kick on this Sunday evening. Have a great start to your week, and God bless.